<laughs> the song's taste are based on. <laughs> the turkey is based in. Turducken! <laughs> she married George Tafford. Looks like Trafford. <laughs> she married George Trafford. Healed? Fuck. She married George Tafford. <laughs> After giving head. And Ludwig never came. <laughs> Severely unfortunate. I'm gonna shit. Wait, hold on. You're gonna what? I ripped ass. <laughs> in a row. That's pretty impressive in and of itself. Two weeks, two episodes. We New didn't track take record. A year off. We did Good it. For us. And this I, is like the last week that like shit hit the fan. Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, right around this time last so year. So don't wow. expect a third episode. Yeah, yeah this <laughs> is it much. for us. There's two, and then we're gonna call Global it Global pandemic part dose. <laughs> I'm your host and spiritual guide, Sean Barber. I am joined by my wonderful co-host, our resident expert in death, Miss Nicole Jewett. Hello. And the jackass of all trades. Mystery the Black! Even there it is! Kid on Christmas. My title has been officially twinkled. changed! Yeah. Yay! Today's episode is one that we've been sitting on for quite a while now. About a year, actually. Yeah, a really long time. And I'm really happy that we're finally getting around to do it. It's a little different than the episodes that we normally do, but we're going to see how it works out. So this episode is all about songs that are based on people, the muses of the music industry. If you will. The songs picked are heavily based on our own taste, so I know there are a ton of other songs that have people as the inspiration, but this is our own podcast, so if you want to do different songs, go do your own. But keep listening. They, yeah, but keep listening. They are good songs, though. Like, they are good songs, I think they're yeah. fairly popular for the most part, so hopefully there's something for everyone in here. Yeah. We'll be talking about the stories behind Layla by Eric Clapton, Lola Montez by Volby, and Holla Back Girl by Gwen Stefani. I didn't, didn't even know, know was... there was a song, like a story to that song, I did didn't. You? I love Gwen Stefani. <laughs> you know, I never thought that I would find myself up late at night writing practically an essay about the story behind Hollaback Girl and Gwen Stefani, but... Are you serious? She taught half the nation how to spell banana. <laughs> that's that's true. so true. Like, Honestly, that, that, like, is... There are songs that like I still think of when I spell words like Glamorous by Fergie or like Delicious, also Fergie. Fun fact, my mom did not let me listen to this song and... Like, Hollaback Girl or Fergalicious? Hollaback Girl. Okay. I didn't know Fergalicious, actually. I wasn't sure. I got a little... Like a high school dance. I didn't know the song for Galicious. That doesn't really and surprise me. And it came me all on, too and much. everybody lost their minds, and all the girls are going wild and shaking their high school Sign butts. At. And I was like, "What's going on here?" And then I never went to another dance again. So, Damn, lucky that's you. Fergie's the reason you never <laughs> went to a lot, another dance. <laughs> We've got three stories about musical inspirations, muses, three dumbass hosts, and no fucking clue what we're doing. This is rule of three. I'm going to start us off today with our first story that is inspired by the song Lola Montez by the Danish metal band Volbeat, which this happens to be one of my favorite songs. I know it's oh, one of it Sean's favorite songs banger, of all time. A banger. You it's know pretty this song, good. Right, I, I yeah. do know this song. They play it for me. It's enjoyable. <laughs> it's a good time. How many times do you think you've had to listen to this song Second because you've been listening to it? A lot of times. Yeah. Probably, not going to lie, probably all the times I've heard it. Lola Montez was a real person, and she was born on February 17th, 1821 in Grange, Ireland, and her birth name was actually 
actually Eliza Rosanna Gilbert. Couldn't you believe it? The girl born in Ireland wasn't born with the name Lola Montez. No shit. No is that is Lola short for Elizabeth? No, it, it, no. it's a made up we'll name. Get we'll to get, it. we'll it's get her to stage it. Name. No, but like oh, stage name. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Her mother, Elizabeth Oliver, came from a very wealthy family and grew up in Castle Oliver, which was founded by one of Oliver Cromwell's soldiers. It's a lot of olives. A whole lot of sure. olives, especially for Ireland. Not really known for its olive. It's, That's true. it's Not potatoes, if, if you will. <laughs> if anything. Her father, Edward Gilbert, was an ensign in the 25th Regiment, which basically means he carried the flag into the heat of battle and prayed to God he didn't die instantly. <laughs> now, there are a lot They're of rumors. Now, there are a lot of rumors that Elizabeth was pregnant at the wedding, but she ain't no thought. And Lola was indeed born nine months after the wedding. That was like a thing that like the town gossip was oh, yeah. that Elizabeth was a thotty. Was a skank? Yeah. And they thought that they just got married. Because she was pregnant. But uh-uh, Elizabeth, woman of God. This is a holy union. Woman of God. On March 14, 1823, the family moved to India, which took four months by ship. And shortly after, Father Edward died of cholera. <laughs> which is not a great start to your new life in India, exactly. Not really. I feel like everyone dies when they go on a trip back in the old days. It's like, just, yeah. you're just yeah. going to die of something. Well, I mean, think about it. You're Spending four crammed, months on a ship. You're crammed on a boat for four months with all these other people. If one person on that boat gets sick, you're fucked. That's crazy. Yeah. Can you imagine nowadays? That like, would be like now. If there was a standard yeah. one one person every crew that just got offed. Yeah. yeah. No, That'd be like the world's shittiest cruise, shi cruise ship being in infected with covid and yeah. you have to live there for four months while you Bro. go to india and then die of cholera <laughs> i just, just want to clarify that i called him father edward and it is not because he's like a priest or anything <laughs> just the father of the family Dearest daddy <laughs> daddy edward <laughs> lola's mother was forced to remarry at only 19 years old to lieutenant patrick craigie this blows my mind at this point she had been married for a while had a daughter to an enzyme <laughs> he died and she remarried at 19 she was yeah. like 16 when lola was born and by 19 she was already on her second husband and i've, I've got to put both of you on blast a little bit it is pronounced ensign not ensign so but that's okay wait, see that's one of those things wait, that we didn't practice I before this have come in and helped you out but i decided not to how's it spelled E N sign. So it looks like oh, wait, enzyme, sign. It's ensign. It's ensign. I thought you kept saying enzyme, like the shit doesn't <laughs> like in DNA. I, I heard you say enzyme, and I was like, "What is he talking?" That's about? why I was and laughing. I That's why I was laughing. I was like, "They're fucking My named after dumbass was DNA." An enzyme just rolling around the battlefield. That's what I thought. <laughs> you know, now it makes sense. You should have said that earlier, because then I wouldn't have made that dumbass joke about to an enzyme because that doesn't make any sense. Now it just seems like I'm shitting on people. Anyway, Patrick Craigie was actually a really caring father and treated Lola as his own daughter. But Lola was being a little shithead and causing all kinds of trouble. And this was actually really nice of him because, like, that's not his daughter. And yeah, at the not time, his problem. You weren't really expected to take care of kids that weren't biologically your own. I mean, even nowadays, like, people don't take care of children who aren't their biological children a lot of the time and people just kind of let it slide and so the fact that he went out of his way to really help this girl like that says a lot he's a good guy yeah, yeah good thing papa died of what did he die of cholera. cholera lola's behavior eventually got so bad that she was sent back to scotland to live with patrick's father and attended school however her behavior didn't improve much in scotland as she was up to constant antics including sticking flowers in old men's wigs during church and running through the streets naked Jesus can you imagine being wild being such a shithead right now i'm doing hot girl shit <laughs> you get sent back from your new life 
to your stepdad's dad's place. <laughs> That's how much of a shit you were. Step grandpa. But I mean, she's really young and already she's gone from Scotland. Then she went and lived in England for a little while before they went to India. She's now in Scotland after being in India. Like she's really young still at this point in time. And I was saying like she like will go on to describe how, just how much she traveled in her day. It took four months to get from Scotland to India. How much of her life do you think she spent traveling? Oh, she traveled, all, she traveled all over the place. So she must have spent a lot of time, especially in her childhood, just on boats. Ships. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of Living. a baller. It's like a nomad, but of the sea. And she probably lived <laughs> all right because she's from a pretty wealthy family. Oh, so I'm yeah. sure like her they quarters are pretty nice. Or anything. Yeah. But I mean, nothing is all too nice about being on a big plank of wood in the ocean, essentially, and just going for it. Nothing yeah. is too spectacular about that. Those around her weren't too big of a fan of Lola, calling her the queer, wayward little Indian girl. Apparently, she didn't fit in all too well. Uh, when she moved back to Scotland, apparently, like, she was still wearing traditional Indian clothing and whatnot. And so she, just because she was literally dressing differently. Because bullying is a thing. Well, yeah. she got People torched up because she's weird. different. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You gotta be racist. You gotta be a terrible person. We're, like, person. in middle school right yeah. now. So that's, uh, that's never changed. Start them young. Come on, kids. At 10 years old, Lola was moved to Sunderland, England, home of a shitty soccer team, Very and attended a boarding team. school set up by Patrick's sister. So now she's bouncing around Patrick's family some more. She probably doesn't even know these no, people. Not she probably all. hates him even more because she didn't like her stepdad, and now she's like, I got to spend time with his family. I don't think it's that she didn't like him. She we'll kind of get into the fact that she oh, was she just was a fire. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. She's just a, a free spirit. Gotcha. Lola only lasted a year at the school, though, and was sent to another school in Camden Place. During the next few years, Eliza attempted to find Lola a husband, but Lola continued her streak of pissing everyone off around her and then eloped with Lieutenant Thomas James at age 16. Damn. And the two of them sailed back to India together. So again, she's going back to India. So, so far, she spent a year of her life just traveling from India to back. Because she's gone to India, come back, and gone to India again four months each at way. At a time, yeah. So she's already spent a year of her life just on and a And she's boat probably like 16-ish yeah. at this time. I yeah, wish no, I was doing that at, at 16. Yeah, 16, yeah. I was fat at 16. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you been to India? No, I haven't. Way to go! Exactly. <laughs> Shockingly, this marriage didn't last very long, and five years later, Lola split from him and went back to London. Shocker. There she goes again. This is a good time to bring up the fact that Lola was a compulsive liar and her entire future career was based on her ability to bullshit and entertain. Oh, she, she lied nonstop. Nonstop. Makes sense. Yeah. Deciding that she wanted an entirely new start on life, Lola took the stage name that we know her by, Lola Montez, claimed that she was a Spanish dancer, and danced her little heart out to the horny men of Victorian England. <laughs> Although Lola claimed that her debut was a resounding success, in all reality, she was instantly recognized as Thomas James's wife, even though they had already been divorced, and forced to rethink her game plan. Because they all recognized her. They thought she was a joke. And, like, she claimed to be, like, this exotic Spanish dancer, Lola Montez. And they and knew exactly who she was. And she got up on stage and was like, isn't that Eliza? Yeah, that's Eliza. Hey, yo, Tommy, someone get your girl. <laughs> now, since London obviously wasn't going to work out, Lola decided to pack up shop and send it on over to mainland Europe, where she first visited Bavaria, which is modern-day southern Germany. This is where Lola started her insane streak of meeting and uh, interacting 
or fucking is another word, <laughs> a good word, fucking with some of the most influential men of her day. Now, this kind of reminds me of Timothy Dexter, how he had that like innate ability yeah. to just see like she... a good business venture. She had like eyes like a hawk of finding the wealthiest, most powerful man in the room and seducing him like that. That's like Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. No, yeah. She, she just had one of these ability to like pick out the right people at the right time in order to just get her life however she wants. She just knew how to play people and she yeah. was amazing at it. So while in Bavaria, she became friendly with the famous Hungarian composer Franz Liszt. Not only was Liszt an amazing composer, one of the best composers in all of history, but he also happened to be quite wealthy and well-connected, which Lola used to her advantage to land a role in an opera in Paris. How does that pull out when you don't have talent? Well, yeah. That's you, a great you, point. <laughs> you might be wondering, where did Lola find the time to train as an opera-level dancer? She wasn't Because she singer. wasn't a singer. She was a dancer. Yeah. That was her and calling. Granted, her... Previous performances as a dancer in London arguably did not go tremendously. And mm -hmm. we don't know if that's because she was just an awful yeah. dancer or because everyone just recognized her and knew she was a sham. Yeah. So she might have been an okay dancer. But there, there's a pretty easy answer to this question of she didn't. She, was, she didn't know how to do this at all. And she completely crashed and burned. One Parisian newspaper completely flamed her up, saying that it takes a little bit of talent to back up her looks. She was a very attractive woman. And oh, that's probably... Probably gorgeous. what gave her like a lot of her kind of power and like manipulating men and oh, yeah, you know yeah. getting They're them to basically sugar Lola. daddy her entire life. But Lola was not about to let a little failed opera get her down, and she spent her time in Paris schmoozing the local aristocrats, including Alexandre Dumas. Uh, okay. Alexandre Dumas. Yeah, Alexandre Dumas. Dumas, who wrote the Three Musketeers, and they were one hundred percent smashing. He's like a really famous author. Yeah, he wrote a lot more than that, but like the Three the Count Musketeers. Count of Monte Cristo is, is one of them. Yeah. I know, Three Musketeers. That's yeah, exactly. top tier. I, fi I figured tier. that's the one you would know. Top tier. <laughs> Even then, I still don't really know like the original story. I had to read a little bit of it. The yeah. first one I found out was uh, the, the Disney version. Yeah, which was <laughs> me too. With Mickey yeah. Mouse. movie. Yeah, uh, sure, by the way, sure very is. great movie. Shout out to that. Lola had many men wrapped around her finger in Paris, and these men funded her hey lifestyle, now. allowing her to return to dancing just for fun and partying as much as she wanted. One of these men was Alexander Dujarier, who owned the most popular newspaper in France, but got in a fight with a man at a party, and the two dueled the next day, because that's how you got shit done. Oh, no, that's, that's how day. you settled your beef. You had I some am. argument with somebody, you, one of you is dying. Frankly, if there was a rule nowadays where, like, if there was a mutual agreement for duel, I'd be for it. Are you yeah. kidding me? That takes the same. <laughs> Ethan just wants to die anyway. shots at <laughs> hey, he's gotta... to a whole nother level, though. That yeah, is seriously. for real taking but shots. like imagine just getting in arguments with people to beat them in duels and that's how you build like your street cred. It's like <laughs> that's just how gang violence works. Like mutual agreement of both parties to be like we're going to duel to the death and we're going to do like how you would, Okay, I have a that'd question. Be fair, how fair. would modern day dueling work though? Because would Think about it now. Like, their pistols back in the day, that was one shot. Yeah. And they but, weren't very accurate. But nowadays, we've got pistols that can hold a bunch of rounds. And so, yeah. would it just be like a one in the chamber Probably kind of scenario? Probably single shot. Or, I propose that you would have to buy ornamental 18th, 17th century pistols and do it the old-fashioned way. I support and, that. And you have to bring a wig. You have to bring a, a wig. powdered wig yes, or any yes. wig. I feel like a powdered wig is probably the way to go for that okay. one. Okay. Do you support that, Ethan? 
I could get behind that one. I, I feel like it'd be kind of cool to inf institute a uh, Russian roulette scenario in there. Oh! Where you just give these fools, like, that's why I, that the hardest part is going to be, like, how do you make sure they're not cheating? Is because there's got to be a dual referee. Right. Like yeah. how they did back in the day. Yeah, you know, with the, the doctors. Yeah, yeah. With, the, with the two, you know, with the, the people with the things. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you're going to duel, you can't just duel on site. You got to be like, all right, we're going to duel here and oh, then. Oh, yeah, yeah. At sunrise. Yeah, you, you have to. And so, it has to be at dawn. And so you the way to keep it fair dawn. is that there's an uh, unbiased, I don't even know how the fuck to say it, like a. Yeah, like the, party. party. Yeah, yeah. but like party, whoever's hosting or like the referee, whatever, right, is the one who has the pistols. Yeah, and then he's the one who like signs off the pistols. But if you're adding spice to your life, mm -hmm. you get big ass the really like impractical guns like the magnums. Yeah, they yeah, go like yeah. boosh, <laughs> and you do that, and you throw one round in there, and then you spin that baby, and then you're both blindfolded. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> and so someone like, and here's how it goes: so like you line up, and you're already aiming at the person. Right. But once it goes three, you just press the trigger. Because then that's no guarantee that the kickback is gonna like hit your target, or that you're gonna kill the person. And so then afterwards, you just yeah you know, take up your blindfold and see what happened. All right. Now I agree with this, but I would like to take it one step further and propose that instead of having to go out and buy like a really old right. like pistol, yeah, significant to these times, uh -huh. you just have them. That's just a thing that everybody has, and I you pass that. them through your generations. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The family heirloom dueling pistol. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody in this room were to have a like ceremonial heirloom pistol, it would be you. You yeah. think I don't? Is the funny part. You, <laughs> I do. That like works. <laughs> yes. That we can duel with. Yes. You think I don't? I'll duel with Sean. You know, that's what I used to do, like... Duel people? You no, fucking yeah. murderer? No, I, I used to do, like, 18th century reenacting. And so I have, like, flintlock muskets and pistols and, like, cannons. But, like, really? Yes. Oh, okay, like, yeah, working? Yeah, like, functional, yes. So, like, you can 100%. shoot a little, like, ball out of them. Because yes. they didn't use bullets. You can shoot whatever the fuck you I want I think he probably knows what Gushers. shot out of them. Yes. No, They'd like, probably explode. They wouldn't work. I think they'd get too hot. They'd yeah, probably, they'd probably like, get really right in the messy. Barrel. Oh, that'd be real. That's that'd be horrible to that'd clean. Be, oh, can you imagine just molding? Flaming gusher. <laughs> <laughs> now, as funny as as it is to talk about dueling, unfortunately, uh, Alexander died during the duel, so he so lost. Not great. Yeah, lost he, there in he, war he and lost, duels. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> After this duel, Lola pieced the fuck out of that once people started dying. She was tired of these of men. She's like, all right, whatever, I'm and, out. And she traveled to Munich in 1846. It was here that Lola gained the attention of King Ludwig I. Let me had... put some emphasis on that. King. King. This is a yeah. king. King Ludwig? Just kidding, it's no, Ludwig. Ludwig. Like, th this was a real, Ludwig. real deal king, and he had two distinct appreciations. Spain... And titties. And coochie, yeah. T titties? No, titties. Specifically? Spain yes, titties. we'll get there. Oh, when Lola and Ludwig first met, he pointed at her and asked, nature or art? Basically asking if her boobs were real. That's baller. <laughs> and That's... Lola's response will... She ripped her dress open in the front of the royal court in true Mardi Gras fashion and showed her natural titties to the world. She just tore her dress wide open and showed him her titties right in front of God and everyone. Absolute baller. With the the confidence on this woman is insane. insane. I think if that happened nowadays, for a number of reasons, that'd be problematic. But I don't think anyone would know what to do. Can you imagine if, if someone walked into the Oval Office and flashed Joe Biden right now? But, like, imagine well, if, no, like... Here's Kamala was like, hey, yo, 
are those bitches real or what? And she just goes, you, like, they wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> Joe would probably have a heart attack. He'd be like, I, 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 I you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. Now, with the power of her titties alone, Lola sparked up an affair with the king who gave her a castle to live in, and he was big time simping for her. I don't think you'd, I feel like, You'd assume there's going to be an affair if you just do that in the royal court. Oh, yeah, but no, like... Can you he, imagine if his wife was, like, sitting right there and was she just probably like, was, oh, if it was God. a royal court. Yeah. Yeah. However, it's it's got to be said, though, a little bit of respect lost for Ludwig, because he that means he's a tits man, which... Come on. That's judgmental. There's, there's finer things Yeah, Ethan's life just upset because he's a tits man, too. I'm yeah. a whatever. I'm a flip the coin kind of man. I'm a, you know... <laughs> whatever happens to be present, you'll take. If I appreciate the person as a whole, whatever they've got to offer, I will accept. Because <laughs> I'm a homie. After some time, it was obvious that Ludwig was being controlled by Lola, who used her influence to support liberal policies and to curb the power of the Catholic Church. She used her titties for, for the good. powers of good. Which I'm just going to say, hell yeah, girls everywhere, use your titties. To I do... wish I could use my titties to support liberal policies. What you could probably use your titties to support, like, the local government or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I think you stand. could probably use your titties to support like a recycling initiative. Yeah. <laughs> Campus. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the country didn't take all too kindly to some literal stripper calling the shots, especially after Ludwig started purging those who spoke out against her power. The breaking point came after Ludwig named Lola a countess, which was like a big deal. She also like she wanted um, I can't remember the exact word for it, but she wanted to like become a citizen. So that she could get all, because there was yeah. a certain like cap on how many, like what titles she could have as someone who wasn't native. So she wanted to like be made a citizen so she could get even more power. And it did eventually happen. And that's when they kind of drew yeah. the line. And a rebellion actually started with students at the University of Munich. And Ludwig was forced to abdicate the throne. Like because of Lola Montez. There was a revolution in the country, and they overthrew the king. He simped for her so hard. That's yeah. The crazy, whole entire dude. country was like, nah, homie. After causing an uprising in more ways than one, Lola fled to Switzerland. Of course, Switzerland, the most peaceful and neutral country of them all. You gotta go to Switzerland. <laughs> you gotta twist him up. And she waited for Ludwig to come for her, but he never came. That time. Unfortunate. <laughs> Unfortunate. <laughs> Giving up her life of royalty, Lola returned to London where she married George Trafford Heald, who, wouldn't you know it, just inherited a fortune. Good for him. Oh my god, Bro. what a shocker. Naughty. She's like a genie where like somebody gets money and she's just like, poof, I'm here to great your Lola Montez. <laughs> <laughs> now, a slight issue with this whole ordeal is that Lola's original marriage contract to Thomas James all those years ago forbid the two to ever remarry while the other one was alive. And Thomas James was still alive. They just separated. He never died. And I can't really put my finger on why this hasn't been an issue yet, because Lola has been married to others But didn't she previously. go all over the but wackadoo? But I think it, it was probably something to do with what country she was in. They didn't know what applied. she was doing in other countries, but yeah. the fact that she was in London, everyone was like, hey, yo, what is she doing? Yeah. <laughs> so in order to get, get around this, Lola and George had to flee to France and then to Spain to escape legal action. However, George mysteriously drowned shortly after, and now Lola was single again and with stacks on stacks of cash. Oh, I want to know, like, genuinely, if she had anything to do with that. I don't know. I'm cur I am curious. There was no real information, and I yeah. never really thought about it until this moment. But like, I oh, feel like she I probably wonder, didn't, yeah. considering how in the past she never like killed 
to people. Yeah. Like, yeah. she just used I them. Mean, and, like, she dipped on she, Ludwig. As long as he was giving her the money she wanted, she was happy. But also, like, even with Ludwig, like, he, he left the throne, yeah. and she didn't kill him or, like, have him killed. She just dipped, because like, she's like, yeah. he's got and it. And she waited for him. Yeah. Knowing her story, I don't think she did at all. I, I just think, think it's either. a funny little coincidence that you could maybe argue that something was kind of there but I, I, I don't really think so I'd accept that she didn't help him when she saw him drowning <laughs> I just don't think she pushed him <laughs> now Lola did what any rich hot girl would do and made her way to the US where her career as a dancer would really kick off hey now she started off in New York nightclubs where she debuted her infamous spider dance this dance was a whole production in which Lola pretended to have a spider crawling in her skirt and she crazily danced around trying to get it out, which consisted of a whole lot of convenient bending over and skirt lifting, showing her audience the severe lack of undies that she had on. And spider, I would be mad. This was really, really like scandalous and provocative oh, yeah. back in these days like, because like to them, a stripper was somebody probably wearing like a short-er uh, like skirt. Short length skirt. Yeah. Showing their knees. Like their that, that's knees. not even a thought today. Of like, yeah, you can literally just walk into a strip club. And, and some of them, the girls are naked. naked. <laughs> but like back in this day, this was incredibly scandalous. And Lola became famous in the tabloids for her erotic dancing. That's kind of awesome. No, that is really baller. Another Spider staple of her stage show was a horse whip that she would use on men in the audience who were jeering at her. She would literally whip the guy. So what I'm hearing is that she is the world's first dominatrix. Yeah, I think so. After a few years on the East Coast, Lola made her way to the boom towns of the West Coast following the famous gold rush and all the single men in need of some... Entertainment. Gucci. Special entertainment. basically. <laughs> While in San Francisco, Lola became wildly popular with the gold miners in the area, and her performances are often credited as early stages of burlesque. She wasn't satisfied with just creating boners all over the U.S., though, and just like any good American punk band, Lola went on tour! Hell yeah. She's going on tour. So now she's actually, like... Famous. Oh, yeah. She's like, she a actually real has dancer. a name for herself. People she's actually her well liked. Yeah. She departed for Sydney, Australia in June of 1855 in what happened to be in the middle of Australia's gold rush as well. So she really just hopped like from the California gold rush to the Australian gold rush. She's rushing everywhere. Goddamn. <laughs> rushing all that gold. <laughs> Lola continued her erotic dances that she was famous for in the States. And one September night, she performed her spider dance at the Royal Theater in Melbourne. The high-class citizens of Melbourne were not huge fans of Lola Montez, though, and after a review that called her performance utterly subversive to all ideas of public morality was printed, people began boycotting the theater, and the theater was hemorrhaging money. Like, she wasn't the only act there, but people stopped going to that theater altogether. When did the kangaroos come into play? It's Australia, right? Uh, just hang I think on, it was hang the on. dingoes, actually. <laughs> there's some dingoes. No, there's no actual dingoes. Damn. I was just making a joke. Me. Her subsequent performances started to go downhill, and after nearly causing a riot of 400 horny men, Good Lola packed up her things and went back to San Francisco in May of 1856. Can you imagine people that are horny saying you're too horny for them? Like, that's what this was, because it was, like, public decency. That was the whole yeah. point of it, right? Well, the problem that, like, what almost caused the riot is, like, guys were jeering at her in the audience, and so she started whipping them. But apparently they didn't take all too kindly to that in Australia. And so when she started using the, the whip on The kinky guys them, in San Francisco thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> the not Australian so much men, Australia, not so much. Apparently. And that's when so she started crazy. using the whip, they got pissed at her and, like, started storming the stage and, like, were mad. And, like, she ran away and stopped performing, and people oh, yeah. were mad that she stopped performing. Well, when you're gonna get beat on stage. I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like that was a logical decision. You can't have your cake and eat it yeah, too really. here, people. The remainder of Lola's life was much quieter, and she seemed to do a bit of a 180, spending her time giving lectures on morality and working to rescue women. <laughs> on January 17, 1861, Lola Montez died of syphilis and was buried in Brooklyn, New York. Damn shocker, she slept with what a life half she the entire world. <laughs> True. <laughs> Who would have thought? All the influential men in Europe and in various beyond. countries. So the Volby song that carries her name draws much of his lyrics from the historical events of her life, referencing her spider dance, the gold miner she performed for, directly quoting utterly subversive to all ideas of public morality, and mentions Henry Seacamp, who edited a newspaper that gave her shows in Australia a bad review. The lyric specifically says, Dear Henry, taste my whip, never to see any words you print. Which is kind of baller. Like, Dear Henry, suck on my dick, honestly. <laughs> That's fucking cool. So oh, what's kind of neat is that like Volbeat has a lot of songs like that that are oh, based yeah, on tons people, of historical especially like songs. with this particular album. This song is on. There's like Doc Holiday, Black Bart, Pearl Heart. Thank Mary goodness Jane she Kelly, died. She would have demanded money from these Marie motherfuckers. Lebeau. Yeah, I know. Right? She would have <laughs> been like, I need that money. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. You literally have a king's inheritance, yeah. probably. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be discussing one of the most influential women of the 20th century. Our second story of the day is about possibly the most influential muse of the 20th century who has inspired many songs, but today we'll be focusing on her role in the songs Layla and Wonderful Tonight by Eric Clapton. The woman in question is Patty Boyd, who was born in Taunton, England on March 17th, 1944. Not in Twanton, which is how not I originally thought to Twanton. pronounce it. It's Taunton. <laughs> Very, uh, you have to say it like there's a stick Taunton. up your ass. You're like Bridgerton, Taunton. <laughs> exactly. Just a side note, it must have been so weird to be born during World War II, being involved in a world-changing event where millions of people are dying, and you just assume that that's normal because that's what your entire life that's, has been. That's gotta be crazy, though. Like, you're born in the middle of a world war. Like, Let me put a pin in that. Do you realize what's going on in the world right now? <laughs> you know what? You do raise an interesting <laughs> yeah. discussion point. <laughs> that we are growing up in right now. Yeah. Hundreds of people dying. Yeah. yeah. What are you gonna do about it? Nothing. Anyway, Patty's story really begins in 1962 when she started her modeling career, and this is probably a good time to discuss the fact that Patty was pretty hot. Especially for post-war England, the fact that she had all of her teeth and no bullet holes in her was insanely impressive. <laughs> That's pretty good. And it's no wonder that men were drooling all over her. Uh -huh. I mean, especially in England, if you have teeth, you're already at least a six. Yeah. No doubt about <laughs> is it. Is that by Baseline law? six. Yes. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. You start as a six. Yeah. Patty was very thin and had that perfect model look that the 60s was all about, but there was one thing that was holding her back. I mentioned that she had all her teeth, and that might have ended up being a bad thing because apparently her teeth were quite large and her front teeth stuck out like a Aww, rabbit's. Oh, Patty Beaver. Aww. It's really yeah. funny if you see pictures of her with her mouth closed and then see pictures of her smiling. And I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be mean. But like Timmy Turner on film. <laughs> is that what we're like, getting she's at? She's a model. Like these people, are like not that I think that it's right to do this, but like they're held to very high standards of yeah. beauty and like having a certain look. And Which is crazy because beauty is all subjective anyway. Yeah. It's nutty. She was able to model for a little while with her mouth firmly closed, <laughs> having a decent career in London and Paris working for companies like Vogue and Vanity Fair. Her life was changed forever in 1964, though, when she was invited to be a part of the music video A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles. The Beatles. She was with the Beatles. The, the Beatles. Beatles. 
It was on set for this video that Patty met the Beatles themselves, and one of them took a very keen interest in her. And I, I can only imagine. Was it Ringo? The old, I can only imagine like somebody comes up to her like, "Hey, one of the Beatles wants to meet you." And she's just going, "Not Ringo, not Ringo, not Ringo." <laughs> I love this thing. I might have it actually mentioned this on this podcast before, but somebody asked them like, "Do you think that Ringo is the best drummer ever?" And he's like, "Ringo's not I even mean, the best, best drummer, drummer in the, in the Beatles." <laughs> George Harrison, the lead uh, guitarist, came up to Patty, and the first thing he said to her was, Will you marry me? Which, very bold, forward, bold translates right out to nowadays as, Damn, bitch, you fine as hell. Yeah, That's really. what that means. However, at the time, Patty was already in a serious relationship with photographer Eric Swain, uh, so she had to turn down his offer. The two agreed to meet again, though, which was their first mistake. Uh, That's the beginning of the end right there. Yeah. And obviously, Patty dumped Swain ASAP because George Harrison was after that booty and her teeth. It is confirmed. George Harrison is a teeth man. He's a teeth man. Damn. Ludwig is a tits man. George Harrison is a teeth man. A lot of teas today. (laughs) Yeah. The two of them eventually did get together, and they got married on January 21st, 1966. Not everyone was thrilled about this, though, including George Harrison's best friend and legendary guitarist, Eric Clapton. I thought you were just going to say, including George Harrison. It's like, <laughs> all right, well, I- <laughs> you were the one simping after like, right, Now you're not on. even happy. That's funny, though. Okay, continue. George and Eric were very, very close friends and often recorded music together, and the two were inseparable. After George and Patty married, she obviously spent a lot of time around him and the rest of the band, and Eric started to get the hots for Patty. Eric started... So- <laughs> Yes. He was just bitter because he wanted to bone his homie's wife. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. unreasonable. Yeah, yeah. Eric Isn't made though? many advances about on it, her, yeah. but Patty was already set, and she wasn't about to dump George Harrison the way that she had with Eric Swain. This oh, is no, George yeah. Harrison. You don't just kick him to the curb. You get three strikes Patrick and you're Swain. out. Yeah. She'd be on strike two, and you can't mess up on that. <laughs> you got to use that wisely. Third his strike lo- and you're out, Patty. Yeah. His love for Patty was driving Eric crazy, though. And after reading the poem, the story of Layla and Majnun? Majnun? It's it's an Indian story. I I don't I don't know. I think it's Majnun, though. The Earth was blessed with the smashing anthem Layla. I'm a little bit confused by your wording here. Is it a smashing anthem or a smashing anthem? Oh, it's not like a like a. Smashing like Thornberry's, like smashing. It's like a, a, a rock and roll in the. Okay, all right. And I'm not talking about the pussy acoustic version. It's like. Why did you Got age 70 years? Knees, babe. I'm talking about the. That's the version I'm talking when about. When that song comes on in the car, when I'm oh driving, that God. very first like guitar intro, I, I've never felt that way in myself before. If I'm not driving 90, I'm not living. I will get pulled over to Layla without any hesitation. And you know what? That cop would walk up to my car and be like, understandable, have a nice day. <laughs> I don't think I've heard this song. Are you serious? You have heard Layla. Have I? We're playing it as soon as this episode yeah. ends. You need, you oh need to know. Oh my god. Okay. For anybody that apparently is as dumb as Ethan and hasn't heard this song before, <laughs> of course, there is a fantastic live version of it on YouTube. If you just look up Layla by Derek and the Dominoes, it's like the first thing that comes up. And if you haven't heard it before, you're going to pause this episode. You're going to go listen to it, and you're going to come back here. And I'm not kidding. I mean this. If you (laughs) haven't heard it, pause, go listen to it, and come back here. 
Does actually, that mean we should pause? No. Well, what, what we're gonna do is we're just gonna have five minutes of dead silence, and we're just gonna sit here. I'm just going to include wait that for in the podcast. Yeah. We're, well, we're not going to do that, actually. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate. The song and the poem both deal with a woman that is completely unattainable for the man, and eventually he is driven crazy by his love for her. This, sadly, is exactly what happened to Clapton as he began a crippling addiction to heroin that stopped his career dead in its track for three years. Like, he just disappeared from 1970 to 1973. He was just gone. During one concert in New York, Eric even passed out on stage, but he did get back up and finish the, show the concert, must go on. which was pretty baller. Around this time, he also had a relation with Patty Boyd's sister, Paula. In, Paula in, and Patty in, Boyd? Paula and Patty Boyd! Paula Boyd! And it was just some crazy vain attempt to fill the void in his life. The boy. He, he wanted he Patty. He wanted Patty. Luckily for Later. Clapton, though, there was a little bit of trouble in paradise with Patty and George, as their different philosophies and the pressure of fame started forming cracks in their relationship. Eric made one last-ditch effort to get with Patty in 1974, and it actually worked. Good Patty- for him getting out of the friend zone. Yeah, really. No, the homie's <laughs> married. What? <laughs> Patty divorced George If they're Harrison. unhappy, they're unhappy. Yeah, yeah, they yeah got- but don't cheat first. Divorce the fuck. No, they, 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 they did. They, they did it right. They okay, did it right. Good. So they got divorced in 1974, and Patty then moved in with Eric, with the two getting married themselves in 1979. This is where the story for another Clapton song, Wonderful Tonight, comes from. Now, Eric and Patty were getting ready to go out on the town for the night, but Patty, as women tend to do, mm-hmm. was taken forever trying on outfit after outfit after outfit, but she wasn't happy with any of them. Mm-hmm. Now, Clapton claims that this went on for hours, and while she was trying on clothes, he wrote the chorus for Wonderful Tonight, which basically was saying... Honey, you look great. Now, can we please fucking leave? (laughs) (laughs) Are you done yet? Unfortunately for Patty, Eric was a terrible husband. And although he had kicked his heroin use, he was a rampant alcoholic at this point and repeatedly beat her. The two tried to have kids but were unsuccessful, further damaging their relationship. Even though he had landed the girl of his dreams, Clapton continued to sleep with many other women and eventually Patty had had enough. She left him in 1987, and they got officially divorced in 1989. Oh, I can only, only imagine like the roller coaster of performing Layla that Eric Clapton must have had. Because when he first wrote the song, it was like all angsty, like, oh, I want this girl, like, Layla. And then he gets with her, and now he can sing it all. He's smug. all. He's like, oh, I got He's Layla. The man. I got Layla. And then he beat her, and she left, and he's like, yeah. And then oh. was like. No, then he, then <laughs> the acoustic version came Yeah, out. that's where that one came from because he's a little bitch all of a sudden. I'd love to just see George Harrison just reading the papers like, oh, shocker. Peculiar. <laughs> Who would have thought, Eric, old boy? It's pretty clear that Eric mainly just wanted Patty because she was what everybody wanted. Like, that's just the girl that people wanted, and his she best friend had her. She was the it girl. And he got pretty bored of her quickly once he actually got her, which is really sad. Yeah. That is really depressing, actually. Damn, imagine if she didn't break up with Harrison and they actually repaired their relationship. Yeah. If she didn't go with Eric. But yeah. That's in crazy. In the immortal words of Taylor Swift, boys only want love when it's torture. I can't really confirm that, but I can't really deny it either. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> the thing, though. Like, Eric wanted her so badly... It consumed like every until he got her. Yeah. Of him. Once he got her, she he got bored and tossed her aside. It's crazy, dude. 
Now, Patty is currently living out her life selling books and pictures about her life, which is pretty cool, honestly. Like, she has all these... She was a photographer, too, during her life. And so she took all of these pictures of the Beatles and all of her private time spent with the band and with Eric Clapton and hey everybody. Now. Which is yeah. pretty neat. Oh, God. It's not that kind of fun. Run the train on Patty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And so she has all of these crazy stories that only she was there for that she's turned into books and everything, and she's made a hell of a living out of That's it. That's awesome. So good for her yeah we're gonna take another quick break and when we come back we have got the weirdest story i've ever written i'm just gonna i'm just gonna that's say not true there. we wrote timothy dexter's no story. are you I'm... saying this story could be b a n a n a yes you know what this story is b a n this shit is bananas yes our last story is admittedly pretty dumb but it also happens to contain a certified banger of a track and one of history's most famous blondes, besides me, of course. Mm. The song in question is Hollaback Girl by Gwen Stefani, and it was inspired by one of the most divisive figures in the music industry, Courtney Love. Courtney Love is most well known as being the wife of Kurt Cobain, the frontman of Nirvana, who completely defined rock and roll and inspired white girls everywhere to wear t-shirts with smiley faces on it, them. It, it, I'm not trying to be like some music elitist here, but it just kills me when I see people like wearing the Nirvana logo because that is exactly what Nirvana like was against. Yeah. Was just <laughs> plastering logos on everything and selling a shit ton of stuff like that. Then why did they do it? They're not even a band anymore. <laughs> they don't have any control yeah. over it. That's I was going to say, yeah, it kills you. It killed Cobain, too. <laughs> Oof. Tons Rest of rumors surround Kurt Cobain's tragic death, and while it was officially ruled a suicide, many music fans to this day hold Courtney Love responsible. Oh, she's that one. Okay. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Some go as far to say that it was her that pulled the trigger, but I think it's reasonable to say that her psychotic behavior certainly didn't help his already like fragile mental state. And the drugs. The drugs probably yeah. didn't help anything. I actually like read a thing like doing research for this story that like whether this is true or not, I don't know. I just saw it, so here you go. She's the reason that he started doing heroin yeah. because she like she was born into old money. We'll get into this a little bit. And so she like was she she was rich. Crazy. She, she was basically untouchable. So she wanted to go to all these parties and do all these drugs and whatever. And she got tickets to a party that she knew that Nirvana was going to be at. She found Kurt, gave him heroin, and never left his side. Like, basically crawled up his ass and stayed there. So that's crazy. she's yeah. probably the reason for his little, addiction, little if that story is true. Yeah. On top of this, Courtney has already found ways to ruffle feathers in the industry all the time and just generally stick her nose where it doesn't belong. Just to give you a feel for the kind of person that Courtney Love is, we have a few stories from her past to set the scene. Courtney is, of course, incredibly well known for her massive drug use, but she even went so far as to use heroin while she was pregnant with her daughter in 1992. She claims yeah. it was only once and that she stopped like as soon as she found out she was pregnant. But that's most likely untrue and is still a pretty fucking shitty defense. Like, that's that's pretty shitty. Even if you did it once, that's that's not a good thing to do at all. Were you doing heroin while pregnant? Only no, once. No. Well, well, maybe one. No, once is, once is bad. Too much. Too many times. Her daughter also filed a restraining order on her after her cat died while being crushed under all the junk in her house and her dog died after eating pills that were just laying all over the place. Bro, what? Yeah. I draw the line at animal abuse. Yeah. Why is it? Put her down. <laughs> what are you doing? 
Her big claim to fame in the music world before meeting Kurt Cobain was being the front woman of her band Hole, which released songs which normally I would not condone this word for use, but the song is called Retard Girl and Dick Nail. Those are the star singles of Courtney Love and her band Hole. Like, was it Hole with a W? Like a hole? No, no, like a hole in the ground. Like a hole. Like a booty hole. Yes. (laughs) Oh, okay. So they were like really awful punk. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Uh, one of the other things I saw while researching this was a video of one of their live performances where just Courtney's (laughs) vocals and guitar were isolated. Sounds awful. Oh my god, it is god awful. It's 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 so bad. I kinda wanna musical in no sense. I kinda wanna hear Dick Nail though. I'm I'm (laughs) I'm intrigued where that's going. Are you you intrigued by Dick Nails? I well Dick Nail singular Basically, she had absolutely no business being in the music industry whatsoever and was just one of those people who kept stirring up shit to keep herself relevant. Like 6 like 9 She know knew the damn person. well that she wasn't good and probably yeah. wouldn't stay famous like off of her music. So instead, she was just going to like throw shade at other people and yeah. get the clout from having Oh, it's like 6 9 now. Yeah, He's no. completely irrelevant yeah. after he went to jail and Kind snitched. of like that thing that happened at the VMAs between like Miley Cyrus and Nicki Minaj when yeah. she's like, Miley, what's good? Like, what was that all about? But it was really damn important for a couple of days. Like, everyone was talking about exactly. it. Exactly. Like, she was that person. She just constantly started drama just to keep herself in the newspapers and in the magazines and stuff. That's all she was after was attention. That's crazy. With that being said, it shouldn't really be a surprise that Courtney used an interview in Seventeen magazine in 2004 to fire some shots at Gwen Stefani, who at the time had just started her solo career as a pop act. So just to be clear, she hadn't released her like debut album yet, but it was like talked about that she was going to go off on the She was like, like kind of getting, getting like an idol area where it was like people like knew her and stuff yeah, like that yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Courtney, in all her intellectual glory, said being famous is just like being in high school, but I'm not interested in being the cheerleader. I'm not interested in being Gwen Stefani. She's the cheerleader, and I'm out in the smoker shed. That's so something to be really cool. proud of, Courtney. You're in the smoker shed? I admired those wow. people in high school. I literally was the cheerleader, but <laughs> anyway. These comments are a little odd, too, I think, since before going into pop, Stefani was actually the lead singer in a punk band, No Doubt. So she wasn't the cheerleader that Courtney was describing. So, like, of all the people she could have picked, Gwen Gwen Stefani Stefani doesn't make sense. No, yeah. Also, by the way, Hella Good by No Doubt. Absolute slaptastic song. Yeah. I love that song. No, no doubt had some certified bangers. Absolute. The real high school cheerleaders of the day were c- people like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. Oh, poor so Britney. if Courtney really wanted to go for some preppy pop star, it would probably be someone like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but like those were like the divas of pop. Yeah. Why were you coming after Gwen Stefani about it just, this? It doesn't make like it doesn't make much sense. If you're gonna so take I your shot, she was just kind of too afraid to. She didn't have like, the balls to go Britney after Spears somebody. Britney Spears was a little really untouchable. Famous. Gwen was pretty vulnerable. She had a pretty successful career as like the lead singer in a band but now she's starting her solo career so it was, she was like it was somebody fairly easy, easy to pick on especially being you know being attached to that Kurt Cobain Nirvana legacy yeah where, like you are kind of by de facto because you possibly were involved in your husband's death inherited the throne of rock and roll yeah like that's kind of her position even though she didn't really do much to earn it that's she didn't deserve she that was. in the slightest. Yeah. She did a lot of heroin to earn it, but that's not it. She sat upon of lies. <laughs> Instead of having a pair and actually going after someone really famous like we just talked about, she picked Gwen, who didn't have a huge name since she was still just a singer in a lesser-known band without a solid solo career yet. 
this comment set went off though, and Courtney had no idea what was she in store. Had it coming and it was gonna hurt. Diss track. So it was at this time that Gwen was working on her first solo album and she already thought it needed something like really hard hitting that would catch people's attention. What she called an attitude song. A little fuck you in her a album brick. is what she and wanted. Courtney Love being a raging bitch was all the inspiration that Gwen needed. Gwen used Courtney's comments as fuel and wrote a massive fuck you to her in response, writing a song with a lot of lyrics hinting at their feud and mocking the high school comments. Of course, holla back, girl. The song contains lines like, I heard that you were talking shit and you didn't think I would hear it. You know, hear it. Oh, there you go. That's right. That's right, put your pom-poms down, everybody getting fired up. That's definitely like a nod at the cheerleader comment. Oh, yeah. And so that's right, dude, meet me at the bleachers. No principals, no student teachers. Both of us want to be the winner, but there can only be one. So Not like, even going to lie, I don't remember any of those lyrics being heard, but I know the chorus and I know everything like, else. I, I know that those are words that go to a rhythm in that song, but I didn't know what they yeah. actually were until now. I think There's also I that to part it. with like where it says, and another one bites dust, like that little part right there. Like that's a song that people played at football games and stuff. Yeah. And usually when the opposing team was down bad. True. So she was kind of laughing at Courtney, yeah, being like, yeah. "Ha ha, this is me kind of taunting you with that song." And of course, there's the most famous part of the song that goes, "This shit is bananas." B A N A N A S. Which seems to pretty, pretty clearly be inspired by high school cheers. Now, some people aren't big fans of this song, Bullshit. including Courtney Love. I'd be willing to bet. But they would be absolutely wrong because this song demolishes and there is hard empirical data to prove this. The things that I don't understand is like the, the issues people had with this song. One of them I saw was like someone saying, I can't believe this like 35 year old woman is like going with all these high school comments like this is so immature, so annoying. And I was like, well, you completely missed the point of the song because the point was that Courtney Love made the high school comment, even though she's way older than that, like enough, like old enough to be mature enough to handle this in yeah. not a high school way. So Gwen was mocking that. Yeah. I, I will say, say, though, if you didn't know about the beef and those comments, this song wouldn't really make a whole lot and of sense. And not many people did, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. regardless, it still bangs. It, it yeah. sure does. Like, and a lot of people had beef with her for not continuing with No Doubt. And they were like, oh, I can't believe she's just a sellout that like went to pop that's music. That's bullshit that people which, always say, though. Just because she wanted to have a solo career and do pop does not mean she was a sellout out yeah maybe that's what she wanted yeah yeah you don't know so holla back girl reached number one on the charts and stayed there for eight weeks spending a total of 31 weeks in the top 100 just a little sidebar that i thought was kind of funny the song that holla back girl brought down for the number one spot was the nine week run of 50 cents candy shop holla back girl beat out candy shop and what wait what song uh beat out holla back girl do you remember what that was oh uh hips don't lie by shakira <gasps> yeah. yeah which so honestly is uh, that's understandable. Winner. So Hollaback Girl managed to take down Candy Shop and was only beat out by Hips Don't Lie. Which is so really respectable. Yeah. Factual statement, by yeah. the way. Courtney Love, on the other hand, had a song that reached number nine in the charts. Wowie for a total of three weeks. Wow, good We're job, keeping Courtney. score. Courtney's down. <laughs> Hollaback Girl also went platinum and was the first single ever to hit one million legal downloads. Hey now. Yeah, we don't know about the illegal ones. <laughs> the album it was released on has also sold eight million copies. Just that album, while all of Courtney Love's music combined, has sold around four million copies. Dumbass bitch. 
So one of Gwen Stefani's solo albums has more than doubled the sales of all of Courtney Love's music. What I which think is kind of funny, beautiful. though, is that this is the only song Gwen Stefani's ever had that was number one. Yeah. This is her best performing song by far in multiple countries, except in Europe, where like a couple of her other songs beat it out that were on the same album. But yeah. I kind of like a one hit wonder kind of thing, where it's not like that was the only thing that, but it was the thing that everybody knew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you play that a lot, and that's the one thing so, everyone like, wants to hear you play. Contentious on whether people liked yeah. it or not. Like yeah. some people really, really loved it and thought it was like a great pop anthem, and some people thought it was the most annoying yeah. song ever. Honestly, if I want to break some tables and have a fun time, I'll put on Hollaback Girl. girl. Yeah. That's okay. the one. Now, on top of the incredible sales, it was also nominated for Record of the Year at the Grammys but ended up losing to Boulevard of Broken Dreams. <gasps> but I'm going to come out and say it, and this is as a, a diehard Green Day fan, I think that was the wrong decision. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't think Boulevard of Broken Dreams is a great song. I'm not going to lie. I think Hollaback Girl's better. That's funny, because that means you walk a lonely road, because everyone loves that <laughs> shit. Everyone loves you that do song. indeed walk the lonely road on that one. <laughs> Uh, Courtney Love would go on to stir up more shit in the years to come, giving interviews about how she had been sleeping with Gwen's then-husband and saying that all of her success was because of his management and nothing to do with her. She literally said, like, when she... They dated for a little while, like, her and Gwen's husband at the time before they were together. So she was like, yeah, you know, when I imagined, like, me and Gavin's life, I expected us to be in the French Riviera, like fucking each other's respective polo t-shirts and i was like oh my god <laughs> she is literally just a bitch to be a bitch and like that's that's For all bitch's she, that's, sake that's all she has is being a bitch that's all she can do apparently and it, we're talking about her so i guess she wins but <laughs> yeah ding 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 winner winner right yeah. here you win this round overall though i think it's pretty fair to say that gwen stefani came out on top of this one and she didn't even have to kill her husband so would you look at that? She's got <laughs> another one up on They Courtney just got Love. divorced like normal people. Hell yeah. <laughs> and if we really want to be those bitches, Courtney Love is worth about $100 million. Oh, don't do know, this to her. Like, don't do it. Well, Gwen Stefani mm -hmm. is worth $150 million. So you can suck on that. That when I heard that, yeah, exactly. When I heard that, I was kind of surprised that the margin wasn't greater. Yeah. And then Sean was like, but you have to imagine, though, at the time that Kurt Cobain died, Courtney Love was his wife, which means she's inheriting all of that stuff from Nirvana still, yeah. So, like, which is probably where most of that's coming from, oh, yeah. even though she's splitting it. Yeah. Well, that's all for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. And let us know what you thought about this episode. You can send us messages on Instagram at Rule of Three, 333, and on Facebook at Rule of Three Podcast. For some more fun listening as well, there's a song that relates to this episode that's all about women who inspired songs called For Elise by Saint Motel. Calls out Patty Boyd by name. Yeah, it does. It's a really fun song with tons of references in there. So if you're interested in this kind of thing, then go check it out. We'll catch you all next week, though. Stay safe and don't worry about anything because spring is almost here. And that means all the white moms get to go to brunch. Outdoors. Woo! Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye.